Some of y'all may know Joe Travis. Um, graduated several years ago, I guess. Uh, but anyway, he got hurt somehow at work uh, this past week and is in his tab. I mean, very seriously hurt. And um, but just pray for him. Pray for um, well, he, he's got like internal damage, like his liver and stuff. And uh, maybe I don't know as much about it as I probably need to. But uh, anyway, just pray for him. Uh, also, some of, some of y'all may notice you may say, well, where well, Keith was working today, and you may say, well, where's Kyle at? And why did Dan seem like he didn't know what was going on? Well, Dan might have seemed like he didn't know what was going on because he knew about one minute before he got up here that he needed to do this. Uh, Kyle was here this morning, and uh, then all of a sudden he kind of disappeared, and he called back and told DJ, said, I just flew up in the parking lot, so I'm going home. And so, uh, anyway, sometimes things just happen, right? And we just kind of go with it. And, uh, but just pray for Kyle. We're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. And uh, look at the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 13. As uh, as some of you may know, I still have the iPad. I still ain't figured out how to make the printer print. But anyway, that's okay. Uh, y'all, uh, 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 Dan asked me this morning and said, well, has anybody said anything about you preaching with the iPad instead of Instead of, uh, instead of your notes in the Bible, I said, no, nobody said anything, but it's just easier for me. I guess it's just what I'm used to, and maybe uh, maybe that's just what I got. I, I just need to get on up into the 21st century. That is what it is, right? The 21st century right now, uh, and uh, get in the ball game and, and learn what I need to do with that. But um, we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 13. Y'all just pray over the next uh, this next week. Uh, we will... Next week, we're either going to, during the month of February, look at, um, go through the book of Jude. And that's one thing I've kind of had on my mind, kind of had on my heart, is preaching through the book of Jude. And we'll either do that during the month of February. But one other thing that I really is kind of had on my mind, my heart, my mind is looking at uh, over the over about two two weeks, looking at the different gifts in giving, and uh, and so uh, some of y'all may say, "Well, we pray that you will be went out." Not know but uh, y'all just praying. I don't know what we need to do. And somebody may say, well, "Why don't you preach one, preach then preach the other?" One? I don't know for several, really for the past. About two to three months, I just really kind of felt led that during the month of March, <laughs> we're going to start preaching through the book of Acts. And so, really, still want to, uh, unless things change, you know, want to start preaching through it, starting the first Sunday in March, and really start looking at the church and the church in Acts and, and preaching through the book of Acts. But, uh, Y'all just pray that I know what God would have us do over the next few weeks. You know, here as we're looking in Hebrews chapter 13 today, Hebrews was is a book written to the Jewish people or Jewish believers. And they were under persecution, going through a tough time. And some of them, I guess, started thinking, well, is this really worth it? You know, we were 
we were going to synagogue and we were good Jewish folks and life was good for us. And now we uh, we accepted Christ and we started enduring all this persecution. And you know, maybe Lord will just go back to where we was at and become good Jews again instead of uh, following Christ. But here in the book of Hebrews, the overarching theme for the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. And if we look in the book of Hebrews, it starts out and it tells us Jesus is better than the angels. You know, because he is the Son of God. Jesus is better than Moses because Moses led the children of Israel out of, uh, in Exodus, led them out of Egypt, but he never led them into the promised land. And Jesus will continually lead us. You know, he's better than Joshua because Joshua was never able to give the people rest. And Jesus can lead us to a place of peace and rest to his people. He goes, the book tells us he's better than the priest because he is the great high priest who understands all our problems, who understands all our infirmities. He's better than Abraham because, you know, before Abraham was, Jesus is, and he's eternal. He's, all, uh, he's always there. He's better than the law because the law could not give forgiveness of sin. And Christ can forgive sin. He's better than the sacrifices because Jesus sacrificed himself once and for all that we could be forgiven. He's better than the faith of all the Old Testament saints because he is the better way. He's the better way of God not giving your wisdom. Not something that was new. It's not something that, that has not been said before. Jesus said, you'll know your my disciples have the love you have for one another. Right? You know, Paul, really if we look all the way back actually into the Old Testament, the psalmist in Psalm 133.1 said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Here the, from the, the and Paul, he told of God's love. Right? He said, God so loved us that he sent his only son to die for us. And whoever believes will have everlasting life. But in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. You know how the only reason we even know how to love at all? is because Jesus showed us what love was by dying. He laid down his life for us. He goes on and says, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And he even goes a little further and John comes back, you know, it's easy to say, I love you, right? You know, oh, AJ, I love you. No, but I ain't going to get to go get groceries because the ball game's on. Right? You know, I mean, when you ever say something like that, you know, I, I love you, but 
I'm going to do this other thing that I want to do. You know, I mean, go ahead. And women, y'all probably done it too, right? But, uh, but John comes back in verse 17. And he says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart for him, how does the love of God abide in him? You know what John comes back and he begins to tell us? He says, we need to make sure we love each other. He said, we need to be demonstrating that we love each other in the way that we live our lives. You know, we can see that we need to love those who are in Christ that we know. But then verse 2, we need to love brothers in Christ who just made it. Verse 2, interesting verse. Probably draws a lot of attention thinking especially in today's age. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. You know, as we read this verse, because this was written to Jewish people originally, Jewish believers originally, the first thing that they were probably thinking about that would come to their mind is Genesis chapter number 18. When Abraham was there sitting under a tree and three men start walking up. And Abraham says, let me go get you something to eat. And he tells Sarah, he says, cook them something. And they sat there and ate together. And those three men one was the Lord, and the other two were angels. <laughs> and as Abraham was feeding them, then the Lord revealed himself, and he said, you know what, about this year, about this time next year, your wife's going to have a baby, and she's already 99. Would you want me chasing around a two-year-old and a hundred and one, you know? <laughs> I think there's a reason why grandparents are grandparents because they get to not have to take care of them all the time, right? You agree? <laughs> Anthony, you, you concur with that? <laughs> you know, if we look, the two angels went on down to visit lives. Abraham, the Lord stayed there with Abraham, they talked to Lot. And as the two angels visited Lot, he just thought there's two men out in the street. And he said, Come on in, though. stay with me this night. And as he showed hospitality <coughs> to them, through that, he, had, he was able to escape the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, for us, we are to show hospitality to, to others. Back in this day, there wasn't really even hotels and motels. And the hotels that were there, the places of, of lodging that were there, were very shady and 
dangerous to stay in, rough places. And as Christians would travel from town to town, they would need a place to stay. And here they're told, show hospitality folks. And you say, well, I'd be scared to do that now. Because some folks will take advantage of it. And you know what? This was probably written because back in that day, there were people that were scared to show hospitality to folks that they didn't know. And you know why they were scared to show hospitality to people they didn't know? Because they had been taken advantage of. You know, Paul told in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said part of being a bishop is you need to be hospitable. You know, a leader in the church, you need to be hospitable. He, Titus chapter 1, verse 8 again, he said that we need to show hospitality. But if we read back through history, there was a book written not very long or around the same time as Scripture. It's called the Daachi, I think is how you say it. It was actually written on how you should do things in church. I mean, it's not ordained by God, but it was how they did things in church. You know, one of the things they talked about there, they said if an apostle shows up, he should not stay at your house more than one day. And he said, if for some reason it's needed, he could stay two days. But if somebody asks to stay a third day, they're a false prophet. They're not a prophet of God. And when they leave, give them a loaf, a loaf of bread, to where they can make it to their next destination. But if they ask for any money, you know they're a false prophet. You know what? The reason they had all that stuff outlined, because there were folks that after they realized Hey, these Christian folks are hospitable. You know, well, I'll just go, you know, I'll go today and I'll stay with Dustin for a week or two. Then I'll just leave his and go to Skip and stay there a week or two. And then I'll come stay with Charlie. And then, and what I end up doing is I won't ever have to work, right? I just, I just bum off everybody else. <laughs> but here, the book of Hebrews said, we need to make sure. The folks that we don't know when they show up, we still need to be kind to them. We still need to show the love of God to them. And here he's talking about Christians, those who claim the, the name of Christ. And I think there's two applications in this today. The first thing is, just as Abraham and Lot entertained angels, I think it's very possible that you could meet somebody in your life that's a heavenly being in this nation. Very possible. You know, both those two men, as they met these angels, they were more blessed than what they gave. 
Think about the life of Abraham. He gave a meal. But by the time he they left, he had received a son. Right? Lot gave the night's lodging. He received his life and deliverance for his family. You know, for us, we need to be conscious of all those around us and how we treat them. That's what we need to do. But not only is there the application of this person may be a heavenly being, you know, as we look at the word angel, it means in the Greek, a messenger from God. You know, there may be somebody that shows up that you don't know. They may have a message from God. They may not even know they have a message from God from you. But as you converse with them, they may say something that may be exactly what you were meant to hear from God. God may have put them in your way so that He could speak to you. Here, the passage says, Don't forget to entertain strangers. Don't forget. Be kind to those that you do not know. Because some have entertained anger. But then also, the third part of this thing of brotherly love is we need to love brothers in Christ who are being persecuted. Verse number three, remember the prisoners as in chains with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And you know, this passage here is not a passage to go start a jail ministry. It's not. And in times past, you know, so many folks may say, oh, well, you know, we need to start a jail ministry. I tell you what, it's good to start a jail ministry and try to win people to the Lord. No matter any any ministry that's trying to win people to the Lord is a good thing, right? And I guess, uh, I mean, I've been to I've been to the jail and talked to folks, and I've been to uh, youth detention centers and spoke and talked to people and stuff. And the only one good thing is they're, I mean, they're there for you because for as long as you talk, they're going to listen because they ain't going to get up and walk out, you know, like y'all do it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> but if we look here, when he's talking about prisoners, He's talking about those who are in prison and mistreated because of the name of Christ. And back in this day, the Romans could throw you in jail. And you know, like us, today you have people that protest and write and stuff because they're not getting enough stuff in the prison. <laughs> Some folks in jail back in this day the only way they ate was if somebody brought them some food. The Romans wasn't real big on saying, well, we throwed you in jail, so we're going to keep you up like we do today. 
And prison was not a punishment. <coughs> prison was a holding place until you received your punishment. Whether it was crucifixion or beating or whatever else. But here, Hebrews tells us those folks that are being persecuted for the name of Christ, we need to make sure we remember them. We need to pray for them. You know, for us today, in America, we'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that's really being persecuted for the name of Christ. Well, he called me a name. Yeah, honey, you're undergoing persecution. No. But there's a lot of places in this world calling on the name of Christ. We need to remember those folks. We need to pray for those around the world who are undergoing persecution. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that we are the body of Christ. And he, in verse 26, he said, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. For if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Here, we need, to be, we need to remember the exhortation concerning people in our lives. But then the next verse is exhortation concerning purity of your life. And let's just hang on right here just a minute. As I've told y'all a lot of times, the Bible is not G-rated. Right? And this passage here is probably going into the PG-13 range. All right? What does it say? <coughs> Marriage is honorable, honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You know, during this day, they lived in a society of perversion. They lived in a society where there was homosexuality was rampant. They lived in a society where uh, people owned slaves and they had sex with them whenever they wanted to. They lived in a society where there was uh, all sorts of perversion, sexual perversion going on. Does it sound like any society that we have today? Right? You say, oh, we don't have slaves today. Yeah. Honey, we do. It sounds kind of like where we're living today, right? And here, as we look, for so many people, if we're not careful, it's easy to miss the point of what's being said and to go overboard. When Paul talked to them and said, you know, if you're not married, you can do a whole lot more for God because you ain't got to worry about keeping up the family. There was people preaching and saying, nobody should be married because all this is happening. There were people that were preaching, sex is always bad. You know, if we're not careful, we'll give that same <laughs> message today. But here in Hebrews, well, he comes back and he says, marriage is honorable among all. You know, marriage was first instituted in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number uh, 24. When God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father. And mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. 
You know, it was a gift from God. Earlier, God had said man shouldn't be alone. And so, here we're told that marriage is honorable. And he says, and the marriage bed undefiled. You know what that means? It means that when two people are married, them having relations with each other, having sex with each other, that is ordained by God. And that's okay. And that's a good thing. It's not that sex is always bad. It's within marriage. It's honorable. It's okay. But then he comes back and he says, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You know, fornication and adultery is two different things. First off, fornication is all sorts of sexual sins. Adultery is sexual sin that's not with your wife or husband. And here, really, he had been talking about brotherly love. And really, it even brings it on down into this verse, doesn't it? If we love our spouse the way we should, we should have a tight relationship with our spouse. We need to live a life that's pure. We need to live a life that's not having these outside influences within our marriage, but live a life and be married. If we are married, live a life that, that exalts God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. You know, for us, Paul said, in ourselves, what are we? In ourselves, our members, we have in ourselves this desire for fornication, uncleanness, evil desires, passion, covetousness. We have all that. But he said, we need to put that to death. Because those result in the judgment of God. But then the last thing I'd like for us to see in these verses, down in verse 5, we can see the exhortation or the command concerning provision for your life. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you, as you have. You know, we can we need to make sure in our life that we don't depend on the things of this world. You know, really, this thing of adultery and covetousness, you just kind of flows together, doesn't it? Because really, when somebody's committing adultery, what are they doing? They're, they're coveting somebody else's wife, right? And here, we're told, let your conduct be without covetousness. You know what, where most of our problems come in today when it comes to materialism? And we live in a very materialistic society. You know what, you know what <coughs> the problem comes in? Covetousness, right? You know how most everybody that's got in debt got in debt? Covetedness, right? You know how you got in debt for that new car? 
because you saw it and you wanted it. Right? You know how you got in debt for whatever you got in debt for. You know what it was? You saw it and you wanted it. I ain't never seen anybody say, well, they made me buy that new car. Right? They made me buy that new shotgun. You know, they made me buy the new iPad, whatever else. Right? Whatever else it is that, that, that but here, Hebrews said, we need to live a life without covetousness. <coughs> Be content with what we have. Wouldn't our life be so much more simple if we were happy with what we had? Wouldn't we live a much happier life if we were happy with what we had? You know, everything in the world is telling us we need more stuff. Every commercial is telling you you need more stuff. You need what they have. They're trying to sell you something. And what's the Bible say? Aren't you just happy with what you got? You know, if you were happy with what you got, you wouldn't have to be trying to work so hard to try to get more stuff. Be happy. What did Jesus say? Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, well, how much is he worth? You know, you know, Daniel, how much is he worth? What Jesus said, it's not about what you possess, that's not what you're worth. Right? And even in the way we talk, we act like what we have is what we are. What we possess is, is who we are. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus said, Therefore do not worry, say, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Isn't that one thing a lot of people worry about every day? What are we going to eat for lunch? Probably some of y'all already thinking. I wish you'd shut up. I wonder what we're going to eat for lunch. You know? Somebody probably worried this morning and said, what what I'm going to wear to the church. I just tell you what, for me, I just soon wear the same thing every week. And y'all probably say, yeah, I know that because you wear it. Hey, I've got these dogs and I have a pair of britches, and I'm going to wear them until they wear out. But uh, anyway, Angie told me this morning, when I was putting his shirt on, she said, Dave, that needs to be the last time you wear that shirt. There's places in it that looks like it's nearly worn through. And I thought, well. So anyway. But, <laughs> but anyway. Jesus said we shouldn't worry about what we're going to eat. What we're going to drink. What we're going to wear. For after all, these things the Gentiles see. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. 
sufficient for the day is its own problem. You know, for us, how much simpler, how much happier it would be content with what we have. But he goes on. And he says, let your conduct be without covetous, be content. He said, for he himself is saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, we can count on two things here. He said, first, I'll never leave you. If you've trusted Christ, you can count on the presence of God. But you know, just as we had looked at last week, and, and so many times we can see in the book of John, from chapter 14 through 16, where Jesus said, I'm going to send a comforter. I, he'll be with you. We'll be there. He said, you can count on my presence. And actually, this is even a promise that was given to Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. As Moses was about to die, and he said, Joshua, God told Moses, said, go get Joshua. <coughs> And there's a few things you need to tell him. Make sure he's ready. And in verse 6, he says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of him. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. You know, if we look on down to Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, again, he says, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. In Joshua chapter number one, after Moses is dead, God comes and speaks to Joshua. And in verse five, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You know, there's two things he told him. First, I'll put out my presence. I'll not leave you. You know, for us, we can count on the presence of God. But then the second thing we can count on is the provision of God. God said, I'm not going to forsake you. You know, someone could be with you and still not help you out. But here, we're promised the presence of God and the provision of God. But then the last thing in the last verse, we can see the praise of the Lord. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my help. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, for us, and when he's quoting out of Psalm 118, verse 6, and here in verse 5 and 6, He tells them, you don't need to be trusting in your stuff. Remember, God's with you. He's going to take care of you. And because we know that God's with us and he's going to take care of us, he said we can boldly say, 
the Lord is my help. Important man for the Lord. What does it matter what anybody else thinks when you know the Lord is going to be your helper? What does it matter what anyone else can do if you know the Lord is there? And at times, we may be afraid to boldly proclaim that the Lord is our helper because we may think, what if He don't come through for us? Here in Hebrews, he said, We just need to faithfully and boldly say, God's going to take care of me. You know, yesterday afternoon, as I was spending some time doing some stuff outside, and actually, I was driving down the road, and a song kind of came to my mind that I hadn't heard for years and years and years. Some of y'all probably never heard. I just started thinking about that song. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. You say, oh, you must have been driving a new truck. Coming back from the grocery store, loaded down with groceries. Driving, you know, actually I had been to the dump. Talked to a lady there that I worked with years ago. And actually, just pulling out of the dump, driving fancy. If you don't know what fancy is, I'll show you one day. Started thinking. That song says, There's a room up above me, not a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your bottle and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. You know what? I'm glad God has blessed me. He's blessed me with his presence. He's blessed me with his provision. And I can boldly say, the Lord is my help. Why should I feel? You know, I've looked up the words of the song because I can't remember the chorus. This is while the world looks upon me as I struggle alone. They say, I've got nothing to eat, but they are so wrong. In my heart, I'm rejoicing how I wish they could see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. 
There's a roof up above me. I've a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. And I know I'm not wealthy. These clothes, they're not new. I don't have much money, but Lord, I have you. And that's all that matters, though the world may not see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings only. Let's all stand if you know what you're saying. There's a roof above me. I'm a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine God, I pray we can boldly say, the Lord is my help. Lord, who shall I think? Help us not to worry about what others think, God, because you are our help. Lord, I pray that work in someone's heart and encourage someone. Draw someone, 